This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, I hope you enjoy some of our most downloaded episodes on how to find off-market deals. When you talk about finding new opportunities with corporate real estate companies, unpack that statement a little bit. What does that mean? Yeah, so mostly corporate real estate companies, they usually go after the big things. Those are never going to be on hit the market, almost never going to hit the market, especially right now. If you try and go on that local MLS and look for a place like, say, 400 units, you're going to be hard pressed to find something unless you're in a very large capital market and it's at a very high price. Corporate. Now, when I say corporate real estate, I mean like institutional investors and institutions that go after things like Graystar, Blackstone's one of them, and a couple other of the giants that you think, oh, they probably, I wonder how they do that business and how they do that business is they use brokers. Like myself, like people at Berkadia, probably people at CBRE, but brokers that are specifically focused on one asset class, like either hotels or multifamily, happen to be in multifamily and just going after and researching and finding those owners might take a little bit. But once you find the owner, there'll be institutions probably going to be pretty quick to put in an offer, even if they have minimal underwriting debt. Like sometimes they don't even need to see the operating statement to find a good value of it because they have the resources to underwrite something without even looking at the place, which I find it's really interesting. That's something I'm trying to learn. That's what I mean by finding new opportunities, just looking for places like, is this is the whole period for this specific property coming up? And can I get a buyer for that right now? Because once it's up, it's going to sell. Either I'm going to sell it or someone else is going to sell it. Yeah, it's definitely a seller's market right now. There's there's yeah. so much capital floating around in the space. I was reviewing a, a capital report from Newmark. And the amount of dry powder that's sitting on the sideline for commercial real estate as a whole. Obviously, we talk here at the Real Estate Syndication Show a lot about apartments, but it's not just apartments. It's commercial. It's hospitality. It's uh, light industrial and retail. Really, every asset class is is under pressure right now. And so if you can land those off-market opportunities, that's the holy grail. As you've been trying to find those opportunities, what are some methods that you've used that have yielded fruit? Just calling the managers. That's a big part. Like Call the front desk of property. Say, hey, say who you are and what you're looking for. And they're probably going to direct you to the right person you need to talk to. And they might transfer you to somebody at the corporate level. Or they're going to pass you to the owner directly if it's a small operation. That's one of the best ways to go after and see. It's like, hey, I got a buyer for this place. And that's what I say. Because even if I don't have a buyer specifically for that one yet, I know that one of my buyers would be interested. So I just go around and just providing some value like that. And then front desk just transfers me over. Most of the time it happens. Sometimes I have had the gatekeeper that will never work with me which has found to be very annoying. But there is always a way to get around that. If, if you just play at their level for a little bit and keep calling, they might just give you an email and you might have to go through them, but it's going to work out. You know, I think something that's important as you're searching down leads is obviously figuring out ways to add value to the people that you're pitching. Yeah. And, and that can be difficult to do, especially in today's environment where they're probably getting pitched by a number of people. But what are some things that you do to add value on that side of the equation? So not necessarily your customers, but the people that you're trying to, to uncover a deal with. Recently, I've been offering brokers opinion and value, just giving them it's like, hey, I'm a broker or I'm a licensee. I understand the market. I've done these, this, this, and this, these deals. It's seller's market right now. I'm curious if you know what the value of the property is. If they're a corporate company, they probably do already do have an estimated value, but they're going to be curious what the market value might be because their analysts can look over it all day long. But it, that analyst view could be very different from what the market views it as. And as licensees, as brokers, we have the market data and that market knowledge to know what the market would be willing to pay for it. And that's some value that we can easily offer. We can even charge a fee for it. So you could probably double dip as well. I'm curious, 
personally, what database you guys use? I know there's Yardi Matrix, there's CoStar, there's several other national platforms that kind of aggregate data. What's your preferred database to plumb for information? Great question. Since I'm such in a small market, I just network and talk with people to see what things are selling at. I have access to CoStar, but most of what I've been going after and what I've been learning has been just from talking with people, having coffee with individuals who are at the higher levels. And just seeing what they're buying at, what they're selling at, that's what's given me the information. Like in Alaska right now, if you were to buy in the Northeast Anchorage or Northwest Anchorage, you're probably going to get like a seven cap, seven and a quarter cap. If you buy in South Anchorage, probably going to be closer to seven cap, variants of about 25 basis points. That was uh, one thing I was curious about because cap rates obviously here in the lower 48, highly variable depending on your market, but substantially lower than what you just quoted. Very interesting. As you go out, how do you put buyer and seller together? What are some some things that you have done that have led to successful transactions? A lot of the times, how I started getting buyers for this type of stuff, I just look on the website. Most companies are going to have a website, even if they only have a few properties. And they're going to have a contact page. I say, hey, I'm a licensee in the Anchorage area. I have deals flow by my desk every couple of days. If you're interested in seeing these deals, here's my contact. Please reach out. And the acquisitions guy is probably going to reach out to you. Because they're always going to be look, they're never going to not look for a deal. Even if they're not looking to buy right now, people still like looking at deals. Like, oh wow, that's a cool deal. I wonder what it'll sell for. So most of the time, ninety percent of the time, they're going to reach back out and just introduce themselves. And that's how I get the buyer's contact information. And then sellers, like I was saying, just call the property and say, hey, you got a buyer for the property, and see where it goes. So starting off, I was you know I got in the game very young, didn't have any relationships. When brokers talked to me, they would hear a young kid on the phone and they didn't believe what I was saying. So I had to figure out how to source deals direct to sellers and not through my network. No one was going to trust. I wouldn't trust me with a deal, right? I had to figure out how to reach out to owners, ideally distressed real estate owners. I started off with the one to four family and that same data-driven approach, we copy and paste it into tons of different verticals and have had tons of success one on the real estate lending side and now on the apartment side. And so what we do is basically take a a set of data. Like if you're going after one real estate market, I don't really recommend going after a handful at at once. Focus on one, learn that market. So what you do is you you aggregate property level data and people like to go on CoStar, people like to go on Reonomy, tax records. You know, there's a handful, there's PropStream that is pretty good, but you want to go after the cleanest data set available. And each market's a little different, but you go after the cleanest data set and you narrow down exactly what you're going after, right? And if you do enough stress testing, what you'll realize is that even the cleanest data isn't so clean. So what we do is we take that data and we start layering it with what we call trigger data or motivation levels, right? So we have a little proprietary blend of what we know is going to be a motivated seller. We take tax liens, evictions, list pendants, divorces, you name it. We're laying on like 300 different things and we're scoring just how motivated someone is to sell their property. And that's how we budget our marketing spend, right? So whether it be direct mail, we literally have door knockers. So we'll have someone go out, knock on a door and talk to an owner and say, hey, we know we sell this property. We love it. We reached out to you over text, call, email, direct mail. It couldn't get you. And that's why we're showing up. We really would love to make you an offer on your property. Are you in the market to sell? So depending on how motivated and what level that seller is at, we're going after him direct. And it works. There's a lot of ways to get deals, but that's been our bread and butter. And it's been pretty fruitful for us thus far. 
you, know, you talked about like learning the market. And I wanted to ask, like, are you doing this just local to you? Or are you doing it at a distance as well? Yes. Yeah, so we have successfully entered other markets. But what we noticed was that when you start pulling into too many markets simultaneously, you're going to distract your team. You got to learn new valuations. You got to learn new neighborhoods within each submarket. It makes it incredibly difficult for your, your acquisition team to sift out the not so good deals and focus on the good ones. So right now we're primarily focused on Northern New Jersey. We plan on really, really penetrating this market for the next year and then moving into another one. But right now it's just New Jersey. Okay. Tell me, like if you're focusing on, you know, like obviously most of the listeners are obviously we're focusing on syndicating deals. Let's talk about like maybe some of your larger projects. Have those been different? Let's just say um, using this type of method to find those deals versus say finding the single family homes or smaller multifamily. You're asking if this marketing approach is just as fruitful. Yeah, if your method of connecting with the seller has been different for your larger deals versus, say, a single family or smaller multifamily. Yeah. Oh, the messaging is completely different, right? Like you're going from empathetic, I'm here for you, I'm here to hold your hand. We're working around. It's a heartfelt approach on the residential side. But when it comes to commercial apartments, all they want to know well, they want to work with someone they like, number one, but they want to know that you're legitimate and that you could close. And so the messaging is completely different, completely different website, completely different everything. Our mail and pieces look completely different. So yeah. Talk through a little bit some of those steps, you know, like to find the larger properties. What's so specific? Maybe even how you're finding those sellers, what you're doing, building that list. We all hear about building that list. And you talked about, you know, finding the cleanest data. Maybe some tips too on how you're finding cleaner data for those types of sellers and some of those steps of how you're marketing to them. I'll give it to you guys clean. Like I don't, you know, a lot of people want to withhold information. I'll just give you guys, I'll tell you exactly what I do. Typically, depending on what state you're in and what county, there's going to be tax records, right? Like downloadable Excel sheets and they'll give you property class. It really depends on where you're looking. But New Jersey specifically will give you property codes and information like that. And what you want to do is stress test that against different list providers, right? Everyone's using the same list providers. But we found that in New Jersey specific, PropStream was the cleanest one, right? And so what we did was we took a data set, we said apartments. Okay, let's take a look at how many apartments they're saying that there is in New Jersey compared to the tax records, which is 100% accurate, right? Let's try it for another asset class. Let's see... How accurate are there 50 units? If I'm putting a 50 unit minimum on PropStream, how many do they give me? Is that accurate? Yes or no? And we found that if you look for a minimum requirement on PropStream, it won't give you accurate information because then we stress tested against CoStar, found that CoStar had more 50 plus units than PropStream was indicating. So what you want to do before you go all in on spending thousands and thousands of dollars on aggregating, skip tracing, and sending out mailers, I mean... I spend like twenty, thirty thousand a month in marketing. Before you go ahead and go crazy, it would be prudent for you to figure out what data set is most accurate in your market and take that twenty hours, thirty hours of research before going crazy. You know, I know you have an ability to find off-market deals. I would love to hear some examples and let, and us discuss that a little bit. Sure. So the first community we purchased was on the market. After we underwrote it and analyzed it, we uh, decided to purchase it, you know, raise the money through syndication, close the deal. And about two or three months later, the broker called and said, hey, I've got a friend that 
just purchased a community. His plan is to, uh, it's another 36 unit community. He plans to remodel it, but he'd be willing to wholesale it. Would you be interested in taking a look at it? So we said, sure. And went and looked at it, underwrote it, decided it was a good move. And we uh, purchased the property, uh, raised the money. We currently have a signed LOI to sell that property. We put about $300,000 into it. And we currently have an offer on the table, which we uh, have accepted, and uh, it'll give a good return to our investors. And so that same broker, again, three, four months later, came and said, hey, we've got uh, 210 units that are on uh, you know, various different communities that are put together and owned by one uh, investor on the street over from you guys. Would you be interested? And we said, sure, let's uh, take a look at it. And the owner wanted to see proof of funds to take down 210 units, which at the time we couldn't do. So we said, well, let, look, let's peel off one of your communities here. Here's one with 28 units that's right behind ours. Would you be willing to peel that off and sell it to us? And he did. But one of the best stories of uh, how we found a, an off-market deal was the only one that we've got under contract in Kentucky that we'll be closing on. This one came to us through a property manager that my partner, Mike, was familiar with. She actually brought us this property a year and a half ago, and it was the first property that we seriously looked at. And we have some great mentors, and they said, you know what? You guys are in Las Vegas. That property's a, a, a thousand miles away. It's a heavy lift. That might not be the first property you want to buy. So we thought that was good counsel, and we listened. Well, fast forward a year later, he's renovated 85% of the units, done just a marvelous job. And uh, that property manager called us back up and says, hey, he's ready to sell this. He wants to take his money and put it into a ground-up development that he's doing. They've done a beautiful job on the, uh, the renovations and the repositioning. Uh, but there were areas of opportunity for management to tighten down some of the expenses and to increase occupancy. And so uh, we're moving forward and we'll close on that property here shortly. So that one came to us through a property manager. Just this week, I've had a call with uh, an insurance broker who said, hey, are you looking for additional properties? And I said, absolutely, we are. He says, well, we do exclusively multifamily. And I frequently have people that I talk to, uh, our customers who say they're ready to sell. Do you mind if I send them your direction? I said, sure, absolutely. And so those are some of the methods that we've used to be able to find those off-market deals. So how did that, say, property manager and insurance broker, how did you develop that relationship with them so they knew that you all were buyers? Well, my partner, Mike Ballard, had a, uh, has had a relationship with this property manager for three or four years. But just once we started our own company, we let her know, hey, we know you're a quality property manager. Find us a property in your area that's right for us, and we'll, we'll allow you to do the property management on it. Same thing with the uh, insurance broker. As I was shopping for insurance on this uh, new community that we're purchasing in Kentucky, I approached him about insurance and he says, well, are you in the, in, the, in the market to buy? And I said, absolutely, yes. And he said, well, let's see if we can hook you up with some of our clients that are ready to, to exit their properties. So it's just a matter of getting the word out. How did you and, and Mike educate yourself about you know, multifamily syndication to take that leap and say, sure, you know, let's go do this? How, how did you learn the business? Well, we went to a real estate class went there, learned everything that we could from them. And then we've just continued to educate ourselves as we, we move forward in the industry. We frequently attend real estate conferences throughout the country. It's one of the ways that we meet new people. It's one of the ways that we network. It's one of the ways that we syndicate and raise money is constantly out networking, go to those real estate events, meet folks, take them to lunch, take them to dinner. That's just how we've done it. In fact, a fun story, we always take folks out to dinner when we go to these real estate conferences and we always just invite folks that we meet 
And uh, we met somebody and they said, hey, can I bring one of my friends? And they said, uh, we said, sure, bring them along. Uh, and that uh, individual happened to, to run a small family office and wound up to be one of our, our major investors in one of our, uh, our latest deals that we put together. So it's just wow. a matter of getting out, getting in front of people, continuing your education, but also building your network. We've had this run these last few months where we've been fortunate to really get deal flow off market that actually pencils and I think you and I were talking about before we started recording, Whitney, that we haven't even won a marketed deal since August of 2019. So it's been like 18 months since we've even won a deal. We just got second place in a deal last week. So we keep getting second, third place because it's just so crazy. You got people making crazy offers. So yeah, I think to answer your question, it's really just a matter of you know setting. Last fall, we lost a deal. Another example, we got second place in a marketed deal. And, and I was so frustrated and it, it really hurt because I thought we had that one. You know, we, we had every advantage and we didn't get it. So we set a goal in the fall of 2020 that in 2021, we're going to buy 250 million worth of real estate in the Phoenix Metro. Okay. So right now, we're just about on pace to hit that. We closed a $24 million deal in January and we have one tenant or contract. So we're on pace to hit that in June. And that's our goal is to continue to just push forward. And, you know, there's all the books you can read, all the cliches, envisioning, having faith. And it's all true, but you have to execute, you know, and keep pushing forward. And so, yeah, I think once we started getting all these deals under contract, we said, okay, we may be scaling sooner than we thought. Let's hire the asset manager. Let's get the office space, you know, so that we can be legitimate. And we expect by the end of the year to probably hire at least one more, possibly two other people just to continue to build it out like a real company. What would be the roles of those new people you're looking forward to hiring? Good question, Whitney. So one would be a transaction manager is what we want. We're basically, if we have deals in escrow that we're buying or selling, they're going to handle all those docs you have to send to the lender for the legal checklist, lender checklist. And they're also going to be handling a lot of our like draws and things like that. And so we have a couple deals in our contract that are going to be bridge loans. So they're going to handle all the draws for renovations, things like that. And then we'll probably have them work with like some investor outreach and, and multimedia stuff as well. So, I mean, it's tough because you, you want to make sure it's easy right now when you're busy with five deals to say, let's hire a transaction manager. But when we close these, we could go six months with no deals. You know, you just never know. So we need to try to find things for them to do. So that would probably be one. And then another person would probably just be kind of like a construction runner or floater, so to speak, who's just consistently at the property. Because when we have 12 or 13 assets, it'll be tough for our asset manager to constantly have a presence. So they'll work under that person. So that's kind of what, what we're envisioning as we continue to build it out. No, I love that. Just thinking through you know, who are the next hires, you're continually thinking about growth. And I just think as you hire those experts, I mean, it is so much, I'm just learning so much more about how it's so much more about who instead of how. I've just you know, read the book, Who Not How, which I highly recommend by Dan Sullivan. But I think a lot of listeners, including myself, want to say, you know, Zach, well, wait a minute, you know, five deals, you know, under contract right now and all these, you know, off market Give us some tips about how you've done that, right? I mean, I think that would be like everybody listening right now is like, well, wait a minute, you know, how have you done that? How have, how have you gotten those, that kind of, you know, that many assets under contract right now? Yeah, it's a good question. And part of, and I'll talk to this as a second part of this answer is, is spacing it out. So if I forget when you remind me, it's, about, it's kind of about space sense. We have long escrows and we've strategically been able to space these. But as far as like the broker interaction, so I'm constantly trying to have some interaction with brokers every week. Okay. So even if there's a deal that I know we don't want to go pursue, like I know it's a crappy deal or it's not a good area, whatever. If I haven't seen that broker in a while, or I have never met them, I'll reach out to them and say, Hey, can I go tour this deal with you? And I'll review the offering memorandum. I'll have some high level knowledge of it. And when we're going through the tour, I'm going to show that broker respect by 
acting interested. Okay. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be asking questions. I'm going to be taking notes, taking pictures, and I may even ask hypothetical questions that I already know the answer to in order to demonstrate that I've looked into it, you know, and these are all things that you can do to build rapport with the broker because brokers are busy, right? They don't want people to waste their time in, in general, but you can't think that way because they want to generate tours for their seller. Okay. So you need to constantly be cranking tours and asking intelligent questions and then telling a little bit about yourself. And then at the end of the tour, I'll always try to try to break into them and, and try to say, okay, like, what are the terms? Like, what does it take to win this deal, et cetera? So that they, they get an idea of who you are, where's your equity coming from, what's your criteria, and you can constantly stay in front of them. And then within a couple of days, just give that broker feedback. They're used to hearing no. And I think so many people are afraid of, because I was terrified when I started reaching out to brokers and then calling them and saying, I don't want to pursue this deal because you feel dumb or you feel like you don't belong, but you can't think that way. The brokers just want to have feedback so they know that you're not wasting their time. So, I mean, that's a big thing is just constantly reaching out to the brokers and staying in front of them. And, and I think a big part of it is just being humble, being respectful and being responsive because you'd be surprised how many of our competitors that I know, I know a lot of these buyers and sellers and they're just rude or they have egos with the brokers. And it's, it's crazy because to me, the brokers are the gold, you know, that represents your deal flow. And so, yeah, I, I think it's really staying in front of the brokers. And when you get a deal under contract is performing, be an over communicator, right? They understand that there's issues that come up. You say, Hey, this happened. I'm going to have to exercise my 30 day extension. I'm telling you earlier, rather than when we get close to closing, just all those little things really build up and they build trust and credibility because these brokers are not, they're not big, bad people. Like they can be perceived to be, they're just, a lot of them are defensive because they, they're constantly getting burned and it's a tough business to be in. So if you can be transparent and honest with them and you perform and close deals, that's the key, Whitney, is that then it's closing deals with them and getting the credibility and then it's staying in front of them and staying relevant because then they trust you and they'll keep giving you deal flow, which is what we've been able to do. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the, from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 